Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Um, yeah, thank you for your wisdom, God, as we're going through Proverbs this summer. Um, I pray that you would speak through us. Um, take imperfect vessels that are not wise, Lord, like myself and my words, and speak. Speak your wisdom. Speak your truth. God, by your grace, um, just show your love. Show how amazing Jesus is. Um, speak through your word. Amen. Amen. So we are traveling through Proverbs this summer, and I am going to camp in two different spots. Proverbs 8, um, Proverbs 8, and then um, if you want to also keep in mind John 1. We're going to jump back and forth a little bit. I'm going to start with Proverbs 8, verse 10, 10 and 11. You've heard this one before. Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. And I read that, and I'm like, okay, jewels. I could do without. <laughs> like, I'm just not a big jewel guy. <laughs> like, I'm all right with that part. But when I think of, I, I just spent a minute, minute, and I'm like, okay, what do I desire? Like, what are some things that would be absolutely amazing? And, um, you know, let's just talk about a few shallow things that I thought about. Um, I work in real estate. And um, I wanted to share with you a house that I looked at this week. Uh, so hopefully we can throw the picture up here. And um, this was, flip, flip to the next one as well. Especially when I saw that, that's the ocean in the background. I was like, okay, now that, you know, a little Santa Barbara house. Okay, I could desire that. I could do without the jewels. But, but all that I desire cannot compare with wisdom. How could that be? How could, we, how could I even unpack that so that we would actually understand that everything that you could possibly desire in this world cannot even compare with wisdom? I'm going to take a stab at it. So let's go back in time. Let's go back to, actually all the way back to creation, I have a funny creation story where um, before we lived in Santa Barbara, we were in Pasadena, and there was a, a family that moved from South Africa to Pasadena, and we were helping uh, plant a church there in Pasadena, and my friend, um, was his name was Terry, his family moved, and Terry was hanging out um, with this group of scientists. There was this, the, well, there's this school, Caltech, if, um, if you're smart in this room, you're nodding your head. <laughs> if you're like me, like I only heard about Caltech because I lived in Pasadena, but Caltech is like MIT. Most of you have heard of MIT. Like it's, it's up there. I'm, I'm seeing like people that look smart nodding their heads. I love it. <clears throat> um, so 
Caltech has this incredible group of scientific minds. And my friend Terry is having dinner. He somehow weaseled his way into this group of scientists. And, um, and I think their daughters were friends sort of things. Uh, and he got invited to this dinner at Caltech where this scientist friend of his was being honored because he was one of the forefront voices on the Big Bang Theory. Are you with me? Okay, I haven't lost anyone. So, so this scientist was, was just like the forefront knowledge alive today and was winning some award about something, something with the Big Bang Theory. And they're having dinner at Caltech in, in this dining room at this event. And the, the um, professor goes to toast. And he toasts and he says, to the Big Bang Theory. And, and all the scientists and Terry raise their glass and he goes, if you want to know what happened before the Big Bang, talk to my friend Terry. And they toast. And it was just this amazing moment where this scientist acknowledged that, that this event happened, but there was something before the event that he didn't understand. And um, so we're going to go back. We're going to go back. Uh, let's go to John chapter 1. And keep your finger in Proverbs if you're following me there. We're going to go back to Proverbs. We'll jump back to Proverbs 8.22. But John chapter 1. I'm going to skip around a little bit in this first um, section of the chapter. I'm going to read the first five verses. In the beginning was the Word. So say with me, in the beginning. All right. In the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's skip down to verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And skipping to verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, bear with me. We're going to jump back to Proverbs 8, 22. I'm painting this picture of wisdom, creation, and Jesus. Proverbs 8, 22. I'm in the... Um, CSV, I think, but it says the Lord possessed, or down in the notes it says fathered, the Lord fathered me at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. Then there were no depths I was brought forth. Sorry, when? When there were no depths I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills I was brought forth, 
before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. It's amazing. It's such an amazing picture because when when we talk about Proverbs, we think of like these these catchy like wisdom slogans that are like on coffee mugs and like something like this I found a really good kind of cheesy looking one like you know it's just like far more precious than rubies right and 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 you put it on your coffee mug and you sip your coffee or your tea and like we reduce proverbs we reduce wisdom to these catchy little slogans that are going to kind of like pick us up in the morning while we're drinking our coffee Right? But the Hebrew word here for wisdom, in verse 11, for wisdom is better than all you may desire. The Hebrew word is um, chokhmah. Can you put up um, the slide? Actually, I'm going to try to do this. I love this. Um, You can actually... So that's... That's what it looks like in the Hebrew. I, you probably can't see the pronunciation, but it's K-H-O-A. So you actually like, oh, here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, this is awesome. Watch this. Strong's age, 2451. Chochmah. Chochmah. So that's how you learn. You know, you can just hit play uh, on your Bible app, and it'll play the orig- how to pronounce it. But it was actually like a little bit of a, in a lot of Hebrew words, you're kind of like, almost like, yeah, like, <laughs> chokmah. Can you say that with me? Chokmah. That's wisdom. That is the wisdom that God is talking about here. And we are given here in Proverbs 8 a wisdom where there's actually an architectural blueprint of creation that's shaped by wisdom, that God actually used wisdom to shape and create everything from the mountains to the, it's talking about the tide to where the, where the, where the waters actually, uh, I loved how it say, said it, uh, he assigned the sea its limits so the waters might not even transgress its command so that gravity and, and the moon and all of these things were working together and it was all shaped through chokmah, through God's wisdom. So he uses this to design the entire universe and then we're invited in to use wisdom, to use chokmah, to design our lives. 
Now, when I use that slogan, design your life, I, I can't help but I'm like, you know, I'm in these circles of real estate and business and coaching and wealth development. And, and there's this poster at, at an office I used to be at where it said, design your life. And there's like a yacht and this tanned like swimsuit model and this guy looking off into the horizon like he's charting the territory of the boat. And it's like this design your life class, you know. And it was a legit class. Like it was about goal setting and and all this stuff. And, um, you know, speaking your... Um, uh, what's it called when you say things over yourself in the morning? Thank you, your declarations. You can tell I'm not good at it. Um, speaking your declarations over yourself, like all this stuff, like designing your life. This is not what it's talking about. It isn't even head knowledge. Wisdom is this, this force, this, this invisible dimension where God is that became a person in Jesus, and created the universe as we know it. The word chokmah is like, um, it, it's been used, I think on, on that list, it said like skill and craftsman. I don't, they didn't do a great job, but it said um, skill in war. That, that's not even painting the picture. It's like skill in action. And it was used often around craftsmen and artists when they would create something. So an artist would create something just unbelievable. This could be a sculpture. It could be a piece of music. It could be something. And, and the Hebrews would say, Chokmah. Because they would see in the creation this beauty. And it was something that was absolutely amazing that was created. And in that is God's wisdom. And so it was when you were good at something, you, were, you weren't just skilled, you were, just, you were creating something beautiful. Now, of course, there is morality in it. If you're creating something or you're doing something and it's just unethical and, or hateful, or there, there would be no, there'd be no hogma, there'd be no wisdom in that because it's clearly not life. But there's a discipline that came with it as well. So that goes a bit... That goes a bit against this, this freedom mentality of getting all the desires of my heart or, or pursuing all of my passions, pursuing, you know, whatever I love or whatever I'm after. There was a discipline to chokmah. Similar to the analogy of like a, a fish, a fish that, that is in the water, that is created and destined to be in the water, has all this freedom but wants more freedom and flies out of the water and dies because it was not operating in within the wisdom of what it was created for and it went out there's the discipline of of a pianist from what i understand of the piano you can play a single note maybe a hundred different times uh, sorry a hundred different ways so you can you you can change the note according to how Hard, you can probably help me on this, but, but on how hard you tap the key, you can change the note on your frequency of tapping it. You can change the note on all different things with your feet, the, the little pedals. There's, there's a hundred different ways you can do a single note on the piano. But a pianist will discipline themselves. They'll constrain themselves to create 
this amazing piece of music that absolutely impacts the listener because they chose to restrain themselves from certain freedoms, from certain things they gave up, certain things they were invited to and they didn't go to. They used discipline. They used this hokma to create something that was beautiful and produced life. So again, backing up to this big picture, to creation and wisdom, what if I told you we were, as earth, we were at the center of everything, and everything rotated around us. We were at the center of the universe. It kind of feels that way, doesn't it? And that's actually what, uh, I think up to about 300 and something, 350 years ago, that's what we believed for thousands of years. Like, that's, that's what people believed. That the earth, would, and it made sense. You looked out, things are moving around us, that's how it works. Until, um, and I spent some time on NASA's website, I just want you to know that I, just to make sure I got this right. <laughs> and I'll still probably botch it up. Francis would be proud. Francis, our, our mathematician genius that moved to Austin, um, would be very excited about this. Um, but basically, for a thousand years, that's what we believed. It was Aristotle's view um, that, that had to do with a geocentric earth. So earth being at the center, geocentric. And then this, um, and it actually was so ingrained that the religion... Uh, the, the powers, the religious powers that be at that time were like, this is theology. Like, this is what the church believes. And then, ironically, a Polish priest named Nicholas Copernicus in 1515 said, or actually kind of discovered or figured it out, like he's like, no, I, this, isn't how it, this isn't how it's working. And he was scared to say it. And so he didn't say it until just before he died. I think he like wrote a paper. <laughs> and then this other guy grabbed hold of it. This French professor started teaching it, among some other things, and was burned at the stake. His name was uh, Girondo Bruno. But the, the, then Galileo finally got a hold of a telescope. The telescope was invented. And it was like, oh, wait a minute wait a minute, right? And so then he started um, talking about what, what's actually happening, and then he didn't get burned, but he got locked up by the Romans. Um, yeah, tried for heresy. Um, and then this guy, this German mathematician, Kepler, um, was, was starting to work on these, these predictions of this theory, and then Sir Isaac Newton put the nail in the coffin on this, and he said, wait a minute. He explained how the planets moved as they did around the sun, and then he came up with the force, the, the name for the force we now call gravity. And that ended the conversation. Now, what does that have to do with today? Well, this was common knowledge this was common knowledge that it was actually believed, but that but the wisdom of God was unfolding to these people in a way where all of a sudden, once a telescope showed up, they were like, oh my gosh, the book of Proverbs 
is opening up our sight to see things that we didn't know exist. Wisdom can actually speak into a situation and show you things that you didn't know. Quite contrary to how everything looks. Quite, you may look out and say, well, that doesn't make sense because I'm looking at things right now in the natural and I don't understand, but God, you have revelation that I don't. So, What's fun about this is, so we're on earth and we're moving um, at about a thousand, yeah, a thousand miles an hour at a spin, right? So, but things are not spinning around us. So we're spinning at a thousand miles an hour and then we're orbiting around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. So we're spinning at a thousand, we're orbiting at 60. 7,000 miles an hour, but it doesn't end there. The sun is in the Milky Way, right? So we're in the Milky Way. Yes, you with me? Yeah, we're in the Milky Way. So the sun is in the Milky Way. The sun is orbiting around the Milky Way at about 515,000 miles per hour. Okay, so we're spinning at 1,000 miles an hour, we're orbiting at 67,000 miles an hour, and then the sun and us are moving around the Milky Way at 515,000 miles an hour. Hold on, right? Hold on to your seats. Now, it doesn't end there. It gets even better. It gets even better. The Milky Way is moving. Does anyone in here know this? Okay, I, this is just absolutely mind-blowing to me. The Milky Way galaxy is moving. There's other galaxies out there, right? So we're, as a Milky Way galaxy, we are moving at about 4,200 miles per hour. And the bad news is, in about 4 billion years, we're going to collide with our nearest neighbor, the Andromeda galaxy. Right? God spoke this into existence using Hokma. The ultimate creator, the ultimate wisdom spoke this into existence and it's perfectly balanced. Because if it wasn't, we wouldn't I wouldn't be speaking. If we were 10 degrees off, 10 degrees closer to the sun, what happens? We all burn. 10 degrees further from the sun, what happens? We all freeze. And we are moving. We are spinning. We're moving. The whole thing's moving. It's all moving. And it's perfectly balanced. Wow. Today in our reading, we're reading about wisdom and how the architecture of creation was spoken into existence through Hokma, through a beautiful creator. All right, let's talk about what Jesus has to do with this. Go back to John 1. And I'll land with this. 
I am right on time. John 1, verse 43 now. Okay, let me just lay a little bit of, an, of a groundwork for this. Um, what's happening here is Jesus has decided to go to Galilee, and he started calling his disciples. He's walking up to people, that are, and he's just saying, follow me, right? And, and um, so on his way to Galilee, uh, there's these two guys, Philip and Nathaniel. What we know about um, Nathaniel is that we know that he was a, um, he was a man of God, and um, he was after God's heart. There was something about him that was just really hungry um, to, know, to know God and be close to God. And we also know that he was, there was something going on with that. We're not sure what. It, we'll unpack it a little bit here. And that he was hanging out by himself under a fig tree. Um, that's what we know. And so this is what happens. Uh, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So Philip went, found Nathanael and said to him, we found him, of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And I just, I just love this because this is God's wisdom, right? It's, it's like, I, I, I'm not sure how to unpack it, but, but I'll try here. To, to, to these guys that were, that were um, religious, uh, they were Jews following the law, following the Torah. They had rabbis. They, they had this Jewish culture. And Nazareth was like not the place rabbis would come from at all. It was not the place. And if I was to bring this, I'll, I'll say, let's just take it Santa Barbara. Let's say, let's say we have a group of just top-notch Santa Barbara surfers, right? Okay, work with me here. Matt, Austin, Dylan, work with me. Okay, so we, got, we have a group of like, uh, or anyone else in here is surf? Uh, we have a group of just Santa Barbara surfers that kill it. And I walk up to the group, and I'm like, hey, um, this, this, this guy's moving here. This guy kills it on the waves. Kills it. He's moving here from Bakersfield. Right? Yeah. Now you got it? They're like, I'm like, he's pro. <laughs> and they're looking at me like, what planet are you on? That's what's happening here. Nazareth, the, the, guy that, the guy that all of the Old Testament prophets are talking about, the rabbi of rabbis, the Messiah, the promised one, he's, you're telling me you just met him and he's, he's, his family's from Nazareth? Okay, so big hurdle to get over in God's wisdom. God uses that. God uses that hurdle for pride. Pride has to come down. It just removes pride. You have pride? You're not going to, no. Mm -mm. My God doesn't come from Nazareth. I'm proud. Right? God's wisdom. And so, um, so then, Philip says to him, come. Come on, come and see. 
Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there's no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? So we don't know what was going on there, but there was something going on in Nathanael's life. I don't know, like my, my hunch is that he was possibly being accused of something deceitful that he didn't do. But there was something going on and he went off by himself and he's under a fig tree and Jesus sees him coming, never met him before and says, ah, you're after my heart and there's no deceit in you and just hits him right where he's at. And so Nathaniel's response is, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, or teacher, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. So no one knew these things that were, that were going on in his heart, in his life. There's no way Jesus would have known because he reacted and said, how did you know? And then Jesus said another thing, and he said, that's it. You're God. It was that powerful, and it was spoken wisdom. So Jesus calls us. Jesus is wisdom personified, skin and bone, wisdom. And he calls us and says, follow me. Follow me. We could say the word disciple. I like the word apprentice because it makes a little bit more sense in our culture. He's saying apprentice to me. Watch me. Work with me. Do what I do. Become my apprentice. And he invites us in. By grace, invites us in. Like Clark was saying, nothing on our effort, nothing that we've earned, just completely invites us in to follow him. Wisdom personified. There's not another person on this planet as compelling as him. He wasn't just a good teacher. He didn't have wise catchphrases. He was actually offensive to the religious leaders of his day. He was loved by the poor loved by the marginalized and the sinners. He was good news to those that felt like they were in need, like they had a deep soul need for something that meant more than the stuff that was in front of them. He was wisdom. The greatest religious minds couldn't stump him, and the greatest criminal minds were drawn to him. He couldn't, he didn't just heal people's diseases. He would actually reveal their deepest thoughts and deepest desires to help them move beyond their biggest hurdles. But walking in wisdom, did everything go his way? Was his life easy? That's one of the things of Pro Proverbs. 
I think we can sometimes get stumped with the catchphrases that say wisdom, walk in wisdom, and your life will be good. Right? I think we can get caught up. Did Jesus have an easy life? I would say the Garden of Gethsemane is the most um, revelatory piece of his life that explains not really. He was actually praying. He could see the cross was coming, and he was praying, God. He was sweating. He was crying. He was basically having a panic attack. If I saw from the outside, I'd be like, panic attack. I mean, he was, it was, the weight of the cross was on him because he could see what was coming. And he said, Father, if there's another way we could do this, let's, let's do it the other way. But your will be done, your wisdom, your chokmah be done, not mine. And he yielded his entire life. And then he got up and he went straight for it. He took the cross on. He could not be overpowered. He could not be coerced. He could not be tricked. He took it on. He chose the cross. So back to wisdom. Wisdom being greater than all that I could desire, can't even compare. How is that? Because with that wisdom, even with all of my circumstances, regardless of what they are, I can flourish. Jesus flourished regardless of what his circumstances were. So only a tiny majority of people, a, a tiny, tiny segment of people, get their life circumstances exactly how they want them. Or maybe for you, there, there might even be a, a, a tiny point where you get your circumstances exactly how you want them, but no one can keep them there. I could get that house I could get that surfboard. I could get that, get this, get this, get this, get this. I could get all of my circumstances lined up exactly how I want them, but I will never be able to keep them there because we live in a broken world, right? So there's this mysterious depth to wisdom that says I can actually flourish. I can experience life. I can actually experience life to the degree where it's not just blessing me, it's pouring out of me and blessing others, even when things...
I wanted to share something real quick and then I'll dismiss us. Um, y'all, we are connected to the person, the creator who is the endless supply of all of the wisdom we're ever going to need. And if you are like feeling in your heart right now, like, I don't know, I don't know if I'm hungry for wisdom. I don't know if I need wisdom right now, or I don't know if I can think of a situation where I need wisdom. Um, I just want to encourage you that if that's where you're at, um, as you leave here tonight, just, just pray in your heart to the Lord, like, Lord, turn up my hunger and help me yield more areas of my life to your wisdom. Because surely there's some, there's, surely there's more areas of my life where I need wisdom. And I didn't know that I needed wisdom. Um, yeah, and that, that wisdom is an endless supply. Um, God's wisdom can take something that we thought was one way and he can flip it into an entirely new thing that brings so much life. Um, I might have shared this example in a, in a sermon sometime, but one of my favorite pieces um, of history in America is about this man, George Washington Carver. Um, he was a professor at the Tuskegee Institute of Alabama. Um, and I think about him every February because of Black History Month. And I think about this story about how um, there was a plague. Oh, all the kiddos are coming back. Okay, there was a plague sweeping across the South when cotton was still the prime crop of the South, and it was called the bull weevil. And this bull weevil is this bug with pinchers on it that looks really evil, and it was eating up all the cotton crops. And long story short, George Washington Carver told all of the farmers to plant peanuts. They came back to him, and they were like, we have all these peanuts, and it stopped the plague, but we don't know what to do with them. And so he was out walking underneath the stars, at 4 a.m., and he was talking to the Lord, and he said, Lord, why did you make man? And God was like, son, you're like asking a question that's way too big for your mind to understand the answer to. And he said, okay, God, why did you make me? And he said, still, son, you're asking way too big of a question. Can you shrink the question and get your heart right? Basically, verbatim, the Lord said, reduce the extent of your question and improve the intent. And, and he said, okay, God, why did you make the peanut? I got all these people who, need, who have all these peanuts and they don't know what to do with them. He said, why did you make the peanut? And God said, now, son, even that is infinite, but let's go to the lab. And so he grabbed as many peanuts as he could and he grabbed his Bible and his journal and he went to the lab at Tuskegee Institute of Alabama, and he locked himself in there for three days. And the Lord gave him divine wisdom for two to 300 inventions of products that you can make from a peanut. God gave him wisdom on how to make cleaning products from a peanut. He gave him wisdom on how to make milk from a peanut. He gave him wisdom on how to make butter from a peanut. 
And that's where we got peanut butter. Divine wisdom from the Lord. Hallelujah. Guys, and, and he, published all these, he published all of these recipes of all these things that you can make from a peanut. Peanut oil, endless things. And he published the articles on how to make these products, and it changed the entire economy of the South because they recovered from the plague, and then a new economy was born to create a demand for all of the supply of peanuts that they had. And so all of these farmers were then able to start their own businesses selling these different types of products from peanuts. That type of wisdom can take something that we have known like a peanut for so long and it can transform it into something totally new that brings life and happiness to everybody who eats a PB&J. Now, how many areas of my life have I just gone without God's wisdom? I wonder. I wonder what area of my life could come to life if I just, if I was hungry for a little bit of wisdom over that area. So that's kind of what I want to like dismiss us with is that thought like this supply of wisdom is endless and it can make every single area of my life bloom. That's what I want. Amen. All right. You're dismissed. Bless you.